Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Oh, fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to get a little drink of water here just, just for a moment. I'm thirsty. Get a little, little drink of water here. See that, right? Mm. Wow, check that out. Gather, grow, go. Mm-hmm. Just a little shameless plug right there. This is mm-hmm. That's our mission in the world. We gather, we grow. Ooh, man, yeah, it's a little, a little, a little uh, oh, just, just see when you came in today, how many of you see a little white towel with a red serve on it? That is yours from your church family to you. This is a little rally towel. Come on. When the preacher starts bearing down and really getting into it, it's okay to grab the rally towel and say, preach, preacher. Man, it makes me feel like T.D. Jakes up in here, man. Sweat pouring from my head. I just got to pat my forehead a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about this in just a minute. I wanted to draw your attention to that, but that is yours, okay? That is Yours. In Matthew chapter 5, we're in a series called Heart of the House. Heart of the House, where we get to really peel back the curtain and see what's at the very core of who we are as a spiritual family. I'm so thankful for your heart that's invested in this house. Can I have a good amen? Come on, if your heart's in this house, can you show me a little love today? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We kicked this off two weeks ago. We talked about vision. We talked about being a healing place for a hurting world. That's our vision. I think it's important that your life is fueled and filled with vision. The scripture says where there is no vision, the people perish. But where there is vision, people flourish. And I just believe that this is a house full of vision. That was two weeks ago. If you were here last week, we talked about our mission. We said gather, grow, and go. Today I want to talk to you about our commitment. Somebody say commitments. This is our commitment found in Matthew chapter 5. Let me give you some context before we get into just a couple of small verses that I think pack a powerful punch. This is Jesus's probably one of his most famous sermons that he's ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard that before? This is his beginning, near the beginning of his ministry, his his inaugural address. And he's on the hillside and he's preaching to the multitudes. They've seen some of his miracles and they're hearing things that they haven't heard before. So there's a lot of excitement gathered around this man and his message. Now, you know, as we unpack the the Sermon on the Mount, um, we'll see there are a lot of things that are familiar to us. But I want you to remember this was a brand new message to the Jews. This was new information. Though it's a popular message now, I'm not, sure, I'm not so sure how well it was received by some people then. He would say things like this. In the Sermon on the Mount, he literally said, hey, listen, you know the law of Moses says don't commit adultery. But I say to you that if you look at a woman in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. How many know they probably weren't waving the rally towels? He wasn't getting a lot of preach preachers. Come on, somebody. Uh, You know, he'd say, you know, the law of Moses says an eye for an eye and a 
tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if somebody hits you on the face, turn the other cheek. How many thinks it's easier on some days to be an Old Testament Christian? Come on, somebody. Give me that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth stuff. Jesus said, no, no, I'm calling you to a higher standard. The law of Moses says, you know, uh, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, there's some tough stuff packed into this famous message. But I want to focus on a few verses in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 41. Verses 41 and 42. This is our commitment Uh, Jesus says these words. He says, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? Now, let me read it to you again. This is a lot packed into a little, but check this out. He says in verse 41, and whoever, somebody say whoever, Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Somebody say two. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. In this small text, we see four things. I want to talk to you today about who to serve, the way to serve, how to serve, and why we serve. Okay? There's four things in these two verses. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, who to serve? Who are we going to serve? Today's serve shirt Sunday. We're wearing red. We have these serve towels. Who are we going to serve? Jesus says, whoever. Whoever. Whoever asks you to go with him one mile, go to. Whoever God puts in front of me, that's where my serving begins. You know, I love when Rachel bakes. Sometimes I'll come home from a long day at work and I'll walk into the house. You know, there's nothing like the smell of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. Come on, how many know that'll change your life right there? Man, when you smell that, I mean, the whole house is filled with the aroma of hot, fresh, baked chocolate chip cookies. Cookies. Some of you have never heard the voice of God, but how many know a chocolate chip will call your name? And I'll go into the kitchen and I'll see it. I mean, it's just, they're just fresh out of the oven. And I'll be like, babe, you know, uh, and I'll go get one. And she'll be like, ah, uh-uh, those aren't for you. Don't you keep your hands out of there. Those are for the neighbors or it's for my friends or it's for a small group or the kids have a birthday party. And so I know now when I walk in the house and I smell that smell, I have to first ask, babe, who are these for? And you know what I love when she says, they're for whoever. When she says whoever, I'm like, I'm a whoever. I qualify for a cookie. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, you're a whoever. You know what I love about the gospel? The gospel does not discriminate. It's for whoever. It doesn't matter the level of your education, the color of your skin, the talent that you have, who your parents are. It doesn't matter. The door is wide open for whoever. You know what's scandalous about the gospel? It's not who it keeps out, but who it lets in. How many of you are grateful that the gospel let you in? The door to the gospel said, come on. When you were living selfishly and and recklessly and and, and all about you, man, when you were an enemy of the cross, the Bible says Jesus came and he died. 
I love it. Who, who do we serve? We serve whoever, whoever's in front of us. Do you know that kindness is the universal language? Everybody speaks kindness. They speak kindness in Eswatini. Come on. They speak kindness in Port Allen. Talk to me. They speak kindness all over this globe. A blind man can see kindness. A deaf man can hear kindness. A lost man can feel kindness. Are you with me? This is why serving is so important. Now, let me give you some history on this text. I think this is going to be helpful. When Jesus says these words as he's preaching this inaugural sermon on the mount, he's speaking to to Jews and Gentiles. But the the country at that time, that part of the, the world was under, Judea was under Roman military occupation. And there was a Roman law called the law of impressment. And this law stated that a Roman soldier could look at any Jew and at any moment demand that this Jew carry his equipment up to a mile. You you had to. There was no choice. It's a law, the law of impressment. If a soldier says, hey, carry my pack, then you had to. There was no questions. You didn't have an option. But you could only carry, he could only demand that you carry it up to one mile and no more. You see, this is big because Jesus is telling them, if a Roman soldier tells you to carry his gear one mile, don't just go the first mile, go the second mile. Can I tell you, it's easy to serve the people that you love. But how many know God will tell you to serve people that you're not supposed to love? Come on. Uh, The Jews hated the Romans. And here Jesus is saying, if a Roman asks you to go one mile, go Two, how many of you have difficult people in your life? (laughs) Don't point at anybody in this room, all right? Some of you are thinking, okay, who are the difficult people? If you can't think of the difficult people in your life, you might be the difficult person. (laughs) You know, God will require that you serve people that are easy to love and serve those that are hard to love. You may be working with some difficult-to-love people. And God will put difficult people in your life to smooth off the rough edges on you. Mm -hmm. Ain't nobody waving that rally towel right now. (laughs) You see, it's natural to love people that you love, but it's supernatural to love difficult people. Let me ask you this. What if you woke up every day and instead of praying, Lord, help me, what if your first thought was, Lord, Who can I help today? Who can I help? Now, now the truth is we all need help. I'm not saying don't pray the prayer, Lord, help me. That's probably the number one prayer that's been prayed in human history and the most answered prayer. But what if your default was not yourself? What if you woke up and your first thought was, Lord, who can I help today? God, who can I serve today? I'm telling you, sometimes we miss opportunities to serve because we're not looking for them. But when you're looking for somebody to serve, when you're praying about someone to serve, Lord, who can I serve? Who can I help? I promise you, God will put somebody right in front of you. And do you know that every act of service is a seed? Watch this. Your acts of kindness, when you serve someone else sacrificially, it becomes a seed that's planted. Now, you may not see the fruit of it immediately, but I've discovered this, that what I plant in somebody else's life has a way of growing in my own. 
What do you need in your life? Can I tell you this? Sow a seed to match your need. Help somebody else with the help that you feel like you need in your own world. Are you with me? Jesus says, whoever compels you, whoever asks you to go one mile, who is it that we're serving? Whoever, number one, check this out. Number two, the way to serve, the way to serve. Jesus says the way to serve is in going the second mile. He's, Jesus is he's not saying don't just do what's required, but he's saying go above and beyond what's expected. Don't just do barely enough to get by. If you see a need, don't just meet it, but try to exceed it. Now, again, a little more history here, okay? Uh, During this time of the world, I mean, the Roman Empire was supreme. And many of you know, this was the first, Rome was the first civilization to build major roadways and thoroughfares. The Romans' road. Some of you have heard Roman roads. This is where it came from. And the reason why they built these, these broad highways and these, they would use stone pavers and, and they would bridge gaps between cities and that was their way of transporting soldiers and troops from one community to the next. They had dominance and superiority because they built these major roads. Now, what they would do in in constructing these highways, they would put stones on the side of the roads as markers. Every mile, there would be a stone. Okay, that's where you get mile markers. How many of you know you're driving down the interstate, you see that little, you know, that green sign with that number on the side of That's a mile marker. This is where it originated. The first civilization to build roads and every mile they had these stones. And what Jesus is saying is, don't just take the gear to the next stone. That Roman soldier's equipment, you're not just gonna carry it to the stone, but you're gonna go past the stone. That's the second mile. You see, there's a difference between obligation and passion. Obligation says, I have to. Passion says, I want to. Obligation says, carry it to the next stone. Jesus says, the second mile is don't stop at that stone. Man, you go even further. My prayer for us, my prayer for you, is that serving would not be a have to, it would be a want to. I pray that this church would be alive with the spirit of serving because we live in a community that has a lot of needs. Can I have a good amen? And the second mile, you see, obligation says, I'm going to do just enough, but passion says, I'll do whatever it takes. Can I tell you this? Your best ministry will come out of your greatest passion. I'm praying that God would use even a day like today and this coming weekend to stir our hearts with the fire to serve somebody else. The first mile is where we experience God, but the second mile is where we express God. The first mile is about law. The second mile is about love. Are you catching this? The first mile is where we know God. The second mile is where we make him known You see, the churches that get this are churches that will make a difference. Why are we going to almost 40 schools this coming weekend? Why are we moving furniture? Why are we painting? You know, why are we packing 1,500 backpacks with school supplies? Some people say, well, Mike, isn't education, isn't that the government's responsibility? Hey, this is where the church steps in. And we don't just do what's expected. We go above and beyond. It's the second mile that makes the difference. 
The first mile says, I have to. The second mile says, I want to. And my prayer is that God will put a want to inside of you. Man, you'd wake up in the morning and say, Lord, who can I help? And then God sends you somebody and you say, you know what? I'm not going to do just what's expected. I'm a second mile servant. Are you with me today? How come I'm more excited about this than you are right now? You know, okay, I'm going to let you step into my world for a moment. As a pastor, when I think about our community and when I think about this church, there are three groups of people that are in church every Sunday. There are three groups of people that are in the communities that we live. There are saints, there are sinners, and there are skeptics. Everywhere you go, you'll find saints, sinners, and skeptics. And in preparing a message like this, I know that there are saints who are going to be fired up. Man, I'm into it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I get it. But there are also going to be those sinners that are in darkness. Maybe they're in loneliness and brokenness, and the, or maybe it's ignorance, and they haven't quite been taught. They haven't, the, the light of the gospel has not shined in their life yet. And then there's a third group of skeptics that are very, very skeptical of the church and of the message of the church. And can I tell you what happens when we go the second mile? Going the second mile will tear down walls. When you begin to serve the walls of skepticism and doubt and cynicism, they begin to fall apart. You know, people have a default already, I think, of suspicion. They're suspicious of you. They're suspicious of me. But when we begin to serve, I'm telling you, revival's going to happen. And it may not happen through a sermon that's preached, but maybe through an act of kindness that begins to destroy the walls of cynics and skeptics. And there the gospel can then begin to shine through. Are you with me? Going the second mile, it tears down walls, but it also builds credibility. It builds credibility. Come on, are you with me? Building credibility, uh, this is super important because as the church, we have the greatest message on the planet. There is hope for every living, breathing human being on planet Earth today. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Now, you know what? Unfortunately, sometimes people don't receive the message of the church because somewhere along the line, maybe we've lost credibility. Serving is a way to regain the credibility and the authority that God has given the church. Uh, let me use this example, okay? I know some of you are taking notes, but I want you to put your pins down just for a moment, and I want you to lock in. I want you to watch closely, okay? Eyes, eyes. Give me your eyes. You with me? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to talk you through this. Let's do this together. Everybody hold up your index finger like this, all right? Number one, baby. All right, now, that index finger that you have, I want you to connect it to your thumb forming a circle like this. You with me? Moving too fast for anybody? Check this out. Now, that circle that you have formed by connecting your index finger to your thumb, I want you to place it right here on your chin. Ready? Stop. Do not move. Where did I tell you to place the... No, 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 no. Don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move. Where did I tell you to place that circle? Yeah, some of you are like, I... How many of you, pastor, got you? Pastor, got you. Yeah, I did. And those of you that I didn't get, you've already seen me do this before. Come on now. 
Do you see how confusing it is when I say one thing, but I do another? Credibility is lost. Watch this. The church loses credibility when we talk a good talk, but we don't walk the walk. When we say, hey, Jesus loves you, but then we don't extend a hand to a brother or sister in need. Come on, are you with me? You see, this is where God can restore credibility. Not only does going the second mile tear down walls and it restores credibility, but watch this. It demonstrates true compassion. Man, when your lips match your life, there is power. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. Man, when the world feels the care and compassion from the church, then the gospel message is easily received. Are you with me today? Man, I feel like we need to, we, man, this, this, this is a rally towel moment right here. Can, can we be the church that tears down walls, that builds credibility with the message of God's love? Can we, can, do, do you want to be that church where revival, God uses your hand and your heart to bring revival in this community? Come on, are you with me today? Now, now, now here, here's, I'm going to tell you this. One of a pastor's biggest concerns is that a church will drift into irrelevancy. The church becoming irrelevant. Church becoming disconnected to the world around it. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, for me, I don't want to create a little bubble. God's not called us to live within the safety of a bubble. You know what? He's called us to be strengthened in this house but then to take what we have in this house and go affect change in the world. You know, and, and so, you know, a pastor's worst nightmare is that a church will become irrelevant. So, you know, the, the danger to trying to stay relevant, sometimes we mistake being relevant for being cool. Church now trying to be cool, trying to be all hipster and trendy, and, you know, pastor got to be dressing right, and, man, we got the LED walls, and we got the smoke and the haze, and, man, we just that cool. Man, we're going to stay relevant because we're going to be cool. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with being cool. For, for, I know I'm looking at some amazingly cool people. For, for some of you, cool comes very natural. For me, I'm a parent. I have no cool points left. Sometimes being cool stands in the way of being relevant. Can I tell you what keeps the church relevant? It's not the, the, the style that we, we, we have on Sundays, but it's the sacrifice and the serve that we have on Mondays. You see, the church that's committed to meeting needs will always be a church that's relevant. Can I have a good amen? Mm -mm. I, I, love, I love when I hear sometimes I'm in a community and I ask somebody, hey, how did you find out about the church? And they said, well, I, I had this need and I was talking to some friends and some friends of mine said, you need to go to HPC because that's the church that helps people. And I'm like, Lord, yes. I think the greatest compliment that the world could give us as a church is we're a church that helps people. You see, Jesus, when he was in his community, what was he doing? He was meeting needs. You see, I came across this poem called The Pit. A man fell into a pit and could not get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in the pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. 
Confucius said, if you would have listened to me, you wouldn't be in that pit. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. A realist said, that's a pit. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary, pounds per square inch, to get him out of the pit. A geologist told him to appreciate and study the rock strata of the pit. The county inspector came and said, do you have a permit to dig that pit? Professor came and gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things are going to get worse. Jesus saw the man in the pit and took him by the hand and lifted him out. Can I tell you this? Let's be like Christ when it comes to the needs of our community. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Remember the Jewish man that had been robbed and beaten and left for dead in the ditch? When you're in the ditch, I mean, thank God for those who can preach a great sermon. But listen, the guy in the ditch didn't need to hear a sermon. He needed to see one. And I believe that the world will believe the message of the church as they see us move forward being the hands and feet of Jesus. Can I have a good amen? Number one, who to serve? Whoever. Number two, the way to serve? Baby, we going the second mile. Number three, how to serve? How do we serve? The scripture says, give what you have. Somebody say, give. Give what you have. Now, listen, when we talk about giving, sometimes we immediately go to dollars and cents. But can I tell you this? Giving is so much bigger than just money. Giving is a spirit, and it influences what you do with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, and with your touch. You give what you have. Some people think, well, I don't have much. Can I tell you this? God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. Can I say that again? This is going to help somebody. Because so many times we come to God and we, we come in our inadequacy. And we feel like we have little to nothing to offer. And God's saying, if you'll just start with what's in your hand. What's in your hand? Remember Moses, when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush? Remember that? And God was trying to get Moses to, to be courageous and to step out and confront Pharaoh. After 400 years of slavery, God was speaking to Moses. Moses was going to be the deliverer of this nation. And Moses had nothing but excuses. Oh, Lord, I, 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 I don't speak very well. I, I stutter when I talk. And Well, Lord, what if they don't believe me? Look at what it says here, Exodus 4. But Moses protested. But God, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him. He said, Moses, what is that in your hand? And he said, well, it's just a shepherd's staff. Can I tell you this? God had to get Moses to look at what he had instead of complaining about everything he didn't have. You can't give what you don't have, but God has given you something. Come on. Now, you don't have everything, but you have something. Moses thought, well, this is just a stick. No, 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 no. It ain't just a stick. It's the rod of God. Moses, look, you take that stick and throw it on the ground. What happened? It became a snake. How many of you, that'd freak you out right there? Yeah, I'd be like, whoa, sweet Jesus. And then God said, Moses, now pick up that snake by the tail. <laughs> I ain't the one for the job. 
I mean, I would get my pistol, man, my nine millimeter. Now pick up that snake by the tail. And immediately when he did, it became a staff again. You see, God doesn't need a lot to do a lot. And can I tell you this? Anybody can serve. Some of you are like, well, pastor, I'm not Moses. You don't have to be. God didn't want you to be Moses. He created you to be you. Well, pastor, I can't preach. You don't have to preach. Well, I have not studied the Bible enough. I've never been to Bible college. Listen, you don't have to be brother Bible man or sister super Christian. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Anybody can serve. Jesus said the greatest among you will become what? The servant of all. You want to be great? You just start serving. Whoever God puts in front of you. You know what it takes to serve? It takes eyes to see. It takes ears to hear. It takes feet that will go, hands that will get involved, and a heart that is willing to do whatever God says. You know what it takes? It takes everything. Eyes, ears, hands, feet, heart. You know, when I said yes to Jesus, I gave Jesus my whole life. I gave him everything. My life is not my own. Can I have a good amen? Oh, man, we, we give what we have. Now, let me, let me wrap this up. Let me give you this final thought. You guys good? Is everybody all right? Still got the towel? I might need to pat my... Here we go. Number four, why do we serve? Why to serve? And this is probably the most important because this all points to Jesus. Now, remember, the very first message at the beginning of Jesus' ministry is this Sermon on the Mount. At the end of Jesus' ministry, in John chapter 13, and th- this, is where, th- this is where we get to the towel. In John chapter 13, the Bible says Jesus has a meal with his disciples. It's called the Last Supper. On the night before he was to go to the cross, he shared a meal with his closest friends. The Bible says that at the dinner table, Jesus got up from the table. I want to tell you, that's important right there because there's a time to sit at the table and then there's a time to get up from the table. We come to church on Sundays and we're seated at the table. God is feeding your spirit nourishment from his word. We're seated at the table. Jesus got up from the table and the Bible says he took off his robe. That's important because that robe identified him as a rabbi and he was laying down his identity. Listen, you don't need a title to serve, but you need a towel. Bible says that Jesus took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist. And he began to do something that was unthinkable. Jesus got down and he began to wash feet. You see, there's something about serving that forces us to come down. I love it. You got to step down into somebody's mess. And Jesus was willing. Watch this. You can't lead at the highest level if you're not willing to serve at the lowest level. Come on, help me today. And what did he do? He begins to wash feet. Y'all ever been in a foot washing service? How many old school been in a foot washing service before? How many might feel a little uncomfortable in a foot washing service? Oh, yeah. I don't like feet. I get grossed out at washing my own feet. I don't want to be washing somebody else's feet. All that toe cheese and stuff up in there. Jesus 
is what not now consider the feet of the men that he washed Peter he's the leader of the disciples man what a strong force but Jesus washes Peter's feet knowing that in less than 24 hours these feet would deny him here's Thomas beloved Thomas he washes the feet of Thomas knowing that in just a few days these feet would doubt him here's Judas come on somebody Jesus knows that with with Judas's feet are dripping wet he will leave from that dinner and go and sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of these feet would deny him these feet would doubt him these feet would betray him and yet Jesus washed those feet anyway Here's what's fascinating to me. Here's where it gets good. Here's where the second mile comes in. Right after this meal, you know the the turn of events. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Here come the Roman soldiers. Did you know that from Gethsemane to Calvary, Golgotha, you want to guess the distance that Jesus walked? Two miles. Jesus literally went the second mile for us. The Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, he didn't stop at mile one. You see, that's why when he went to the cross, he literally, he could say with confidence, it is finished. You see, the second mile finishes everything that was in God's heart for humanity. Come on, somebody. And that's why he tells us Jesus didn't just stop at the stone. Come on, the Roman roads, the stone, the mile mark. He didn't stop at the stone. He rolled the stone away three days later. He didn't carry a, a, a Roman soldier's backpack, but he carried the weight of the sins of the world up on his shoulders. Consider how Jesus died. Oh, he didn't die, you know, on an altar between two candles. He died on a cross between two criminals. This place was filthy as he walked through the city streets. I mean, it was a place so cosmopolitan that they had to print his crime in three different languages as they crucified him there. And if his life ended there, our faith has to go there to serve those that are suffering. This is why as a church, we go the second mile. Come on, do you receive that today? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.